Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk Cosmic Queries Edition. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. And today's topic is, you know, we had to get there. We had, to, you know, everybody's got to do it. Everybody's got to, like, got to do it. Sharks. We are sharking today. And I've got as my co-host, Jordan Klepper. Jordan! Neil, excited to be sharking with you. <laughs> okay, love you, man. Love, <laughs> love man. you, man. This is, we're going to talk about sharks today. We're I'm excited. Talk, we're going to talk about sharks, but neither you nor I have any expertise in this at all. We know nothing about sharks. Neither between <laughs> us, we know who's <laughs> I just know they have teeth. Uh, that's all I need to know. They're, they're big and they're hungry. Spoiler alert, you're ruining this for me, Neil. <laughs> so well, we, we've got a, a special guest, Jasmine Graham. Jasmine, welcome to Star Talk. Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah, so you have you have I didn't know you could you could do this. You like your you, your degrees are in biology, marine biology, and you you specialize in sharks. This is a thing. It is a thing. It is that, a thing. That, that, that's a thing. And yeah. I, you've got a uh, your project coordinator for Mars Silas. Uh, what is that? What is that? Mars Silas. I see Mars. But that's, I don't think that's why what you got there. Not, all, not that Mars. Um, not that yeah. Mars. <laughs> Mars so, LA's. That's a whole acronym. It is an amalgam. acronym. It has a long name, Marine Science Laboratory Alliance Center of Excellence, um, which I spent the first week of my job trying to say without stumbling. <laughs> okay. um, but we are a program that's geared towards increasing minority participation in marine science. Okay, cool. And so you're also co-founder of MISS, M-I-S-S, Minorities, yes. Minorities in Shark Science. Yes. So um, that is, is also a program that's, that's geared towards supporting minority students, specifically women of color in shark science. So it's a little more specific than my Marseille Lace project. But no, yes. I, I, don't, I don't mean to sound, you know, narrow, but that's got to be a hard sell to go up to the hood and say, hey, everybody, let's go to... Let's go find sharks, right? Is this, does that work? Are there, is there enough curiosity? Like if I'm growing up in the hood and I'm not thinking about sharks, do you have to overcome that? So to some extent, so, so I think what happens for a lot of people is they bring up this idea of, of sharks in the ocean at first and then people in their community are like, what? what? And they, yeah, they, yeah. Then they feel <laughs> self-conscious and they're like, I mean, whenever I told my family I was going to go study sharks, they, they said, were like, what? <laughs> You're going to get it. Because they don't even get in the ocean. They, they fish, but, I mean, they fish to eat. They're not trying to play around with them and figure out what they're doing. Uh, so I think the first time that I asked, like, what do fish do when they're not on our plate? People were like, who cares? <laughs> like, tasty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're going to be tasty, I don't need to know what you do in the ocean. <laughs> Wow. So uh, very cool. So 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 Jordan, you collected questions from our fan base. Got plenty. Of p people are excited. Talk about sharks. You know, and so sharks spilled over out of the other places into Star Talk. We had to go there. All <laughs> right. So Jordan, give it to me. What do you have? Let's jump right in with a uh, bike and bird Patreon subscriber. Uh, he's got a question. Okay. How affected, mm -hmm. if at all, will sharks be? affected by climate change? At what temperatures do the waters have to stay for them to remain 
comfortable. Well, I love that question. Yeah. Yeah. So what's going on there, Jasmine? So that's a that's a really great question and something that a lot of researchers are are interested in figuring out. So sharks can't maintain their own body temperature. So unlike us, where we run the same temperature, unless we have a fever, they can't do that. So they are greatly affected by their environments. And so things like climate change are things that are definitely going to be affecting sharks. We don't know how much. We don't know at what point it becomes something that they can't deal with anymore. As far as what's the ideal temperature, that varies with sharks. So so some sharks live at, at really cold, I mean, for a shark, cold temperatures, and then some are like in the tropics. So it depends. And there's a specific ideal temperature for every species of shark. So researchers are really focused on the individual species and how they're going to be affected. And then another important thing is their habitat. So there's a lot of sharks, especially the small coastal sharks that depend on things like mangroves and reefs and seagrass. And so when those start to go away... The little sharks, they just bite off a limb or a few fingers, right? The little sharks. The little sharks? So the little (laughs) sharks are just swimming around, living life. Um, We we don't have to have nightmares about the little sharks. That's what I'm wondering. I just want to know... The big ones we have to worry about. Yeah, I just want to know, when do you need the bigger boat, right? So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the the most most sharks are going to be, like, so small that you're not even, like, thinking about them. Um, So they're just swimming around... Of course, the really big ones are the ones that get all the attention, the great whites and the tiger sharks, and they are they are above average size. <laughs> Most sharks mm-hmm. are just like hanging out at like four or five feet long, and they're just chilling. Most of the okay. sharks that you're going to encounter, like going to the beach and stuff like that, you probably have a shark within 100 yards of you at all times, but it's <gasps> probably like two feet long. <laughs> Now you tell me this, but so the, do the little sharks just bite off your finger? That's all. The little sharks just like swim around and usually they get scared really easily. So if you make any sort of movement, they're going to be like, oh my goodness, that is a big animal. And I don't know what that is. Run away. <laughs> I mean, I'm even afraid. Do they, do they brush against your thigh? That frightens me. <laughs> I mean, yes. If you're in their way and they're swimming, yeah, they'll bump into you. These stories are frightening. They're all frightening. <laughs> They, well, I guarantee you, Jordan, that shark that touched you is freaking out. Like, oh, my God, I touched a thing, and I don't know what that is. I, <laughs> you're both freaking out. Everybody's it, freaking out. Just it, let it happen. It sounds like high school. You know, we don't know what the boundaries are. <laughs> somebody touches somebody else. They're freaking out internally. It's more about what's going on inside than anywhere else. Yeah, so, exactly. so, so, Jasmine, let me hypothesize something. I, I didn't know sharks were very sensitive to their environmental temperature you know, the water temperature. So if that's the case, and you have global warming, the water, the, the water temperatures rise, they might have to swim to a lower depth where it's cooler than they previously had been, and that would change the food available to them. Is this a possible scenario in a, a climate-changed future for sharks? Yeah, that's that's definitely a possible scenario. And, and you know, if your prey moves, you got to move. Like if if you're eating fish and all the fish swim over here and you can't follow them, that's a problem. That's the end of you. Yeah, that's right. Right. Darwin fixes that immediately. Right. Right. Very cool. All right, Jordan. That was actually the uh, the, that was the first rough draft of the Jaws screenplay. (laughs) 
it, it doesn't end with a gunshot. It ends with the slow building of temperature change and the inability to regulate body temperature. And it was about a seven-hour film. <laughs> and they had to evolve the shark so that it fed at a different depth, right? It, it took a while. It's, it's hard to tell that in a, any kind of efficient way. So they're like, you know what? Screw it. Let's have them shoot some of ca- some kind of canister in his mouth. Right. <laughs> uh, I got a question here from another Patreon subscriber, Brian Flowers. My girlfriend, Laura, would like to know, with so much of the ocean unexplored, can it be said definitively that the megalodon is extinct when tooth specimens not matching their extinction dates have been found? Ooh. So wait, tell me about the megalodon. There's a movie, right? There, right? Is, there is a movie called The Meg, which is, a, which is an interesting experience. I knew that we were going to be in for a wild ride when the poster came out and the Megalodon had like 13 gill slits. I'm like, that is like twice as many gill slits as this thing should have. But um, yeah, so a lot of people ask that I'm, I'm sure, wait, I'm, I'm sure Jordan thought the same thing when he saw I was the like, poster. you know what, I, I'm, I'm all in, but this doesn't feel at all. <laughs> <laughs> Do the research that I've gone. Usually, the authenticity is, just went out the door. Statham is usually so good with authenticity. <laughs> I would yeah. So yeah, the lots of people ask that of like, well, how do you know? Okay, first of all, they were ginormous, like ginormous, and it's not like they were li- living in the deep ocean. That that was not the case. It's not like oh. They could be down deep in Mariana's Trench and we could drill them up accidentally. No, they didn't live that deep. That's not a thing that was happening. Also, the the biggest way that you can tell is by the size of our whales. So whales are really big now. Whales didn't always used to be big. They used to be small and fast. And the reason why they were small and fast was to avoid being eaten by the megalodon. That was their main, like, defense against getting eaten by a megalodon was, like, all right, this thing is really big. I just got to be really fast. So they would be really small and really fast. And then Megalodon went extinct and then was the rise of the great white shark. So now we have a shark that's much smaller and much faster. So then the whale's strategy kind of changed a little bit. So they actually evolved to be so big that it would be a hassle for the great whites to try and eat them. So if they were all super big and slow during the time of Megalodon, they would have 100% gotten taken out. <laughs> like, Megalodon would have been like, ah, a sperm well. This is just wow. a light snack. <laughs> okay, so so what you're saying is they weren't bottom dwellers, so they, you would see them. You, you would see them. You can't hide a huge animal. Yeah. And their prey would... you. That's interesting because one way to know about whether an animal exists is whether its prey is rampant in a in an area, and then you say, "Well, there can't be that many foxes if you see many rabbits." Right? That's a fair. This is a fair or ecological statement to make. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right, cool. Things co-evolve together, and and mm-hmm. you know, whenever the thing that they're trying to avoid goes extinct, they're like, woohoo, free-for-all. We can get as big as we want now. Wait, wait, I got I to gotta defend the movie one last chance here. So if the megalodon is extinct and gills are not made of fossilizable tissue, how do you know they didn't have 13 slits? So that I... Am I good there, Jordan? Jordan, I think I, I got her on this. Neil, I, I, I think this, this is you. You said you came into this saying you didn't know about sharks, but you were making a, some... This is a slap down. Okay, yeah, go, so, go on. <laughs> <laughs> so gill arches fossilize. So so cartilage doesn't fossilize nearly as well as bone. But you know, 
cartilage does fossilize. And, and we have a lot of scientists, not me, this is not my field of expertise, but a lot of scientists do a lot of work on reconstructing from what little evidence that we do have. So yeah, we don't have a lot of, of evidence of megalodon, but we do have all of their relatives and none of their relatives have 13 gill slits. So it is highly probable <laughs> that, that they didn't have 13 gill slits either, even though we don't have you know all of the, the fossils and everything like that. And we're doing a lot of estimating and guesstimating. So can I say 100% that they didn't have 13 gill slits? No, I cannot. But the chances of sharks going from 13 gill slits to five, uh, is, is that's, that would be a lot of changes that we need to... I got you. Okay, that's fair. That's very fair, fairly <laughs> argued there, I think. It's like... It's, I don't know, Neil. Neil, push back on that science. <laughs> if you're, if no, you're no, trying I, to base it on, like, my weird uncle, if you're using uh, my weird uncle to date whether or not I'm going to be a 350-pound conservative from Indiana, it's just not going to match. Well, that's what happens, because, you know, where the anthropologists, they find the one skeletal remains, and then everything about the entire species is anchored to that. So if they found your uncle, and that was the representative human of all humans, you know... Uh, you saying we'd have issues? That's we we would have issues as long as they don't go looking in suburban Indiana. Then he's not going to be the original man, the, the fossilized version of the original man. <laughs> so, so a, a variant on this is: Do you portray your dragons with four limbs plus two wings, or that is one, two, three, four appendages plus two wings, or are the front limbs the wings? Okay, and so uh, in in Game of Thrones, the dragons, the front li- the front limbs were the wings, as is true with bats and any other sort of vertebrate that flies. So you can't just throw in another pair of appendages and in the model that we have here on Earth. So is that a fair analogy, Jasmine? Do you think? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you have to use what information you have and. Yeah, we're drawing dinosaurs and and prehistoric creatures and stuff to the best of our abilities. And sure, we get things wrong, but we do have a blueprint. You know, they didn't totally change shape that quickly. That's not how evolution happens. You don't go like, oh, and then suddenly there was an an individual born that had an extra pair of limbs. And then they procreated with another individual that had an extra pair of limbs. And suddenly everyone had an extra (laughs) pair of limbs. That's not how that works. Uh, that's very bio 101 right there, evolution 101. <laughs> All right, Jordan, what else you got? I got uh, another Patreon subscriber, Joy Panero Denise. Considering mammals return to the ocean and dominate it, have sharks reached an intelligence plateau? Would climate change ironically provide an opportunity for sharks to adapt and become more intelligent? Ooh, I like that. First, Jasmine, just set it straight. The mammals in the ocean did not evolve there. Is that correct? I mean, they were mammals on land and returned to the water. Yes. That is crazy. Yeah, there's a lot of back and forth. So like, so we have life starting in an aquatic setting. Then there were some that went to land and they did all this evolution on land. And then they were like, you know what? Land is like, I'm just going to go back. Land is overrated. (laughs) Land is... (laughs) Like Tulum. You're like, oh, it was cool for a little while, but I'm coming back. For a little back. while. They went back into the ocean, which is weird because the ocean can kill us as humans, right? You don't, this is not a first thought. 
And so for some species to have that thought, they've got to have some pretty good adaptable elements to them. Yeah. So you, I mean, you have, especially where you had situations where there were major predators on land and they couldn't go in the water. So why don't you just run into the water and then the predator can't get you. And then, you know, you have some individuals that are born with some special adaptations that help them in the water. And then they're more successful because they can hang out in the water and avoid the predators. And then that just kind of builds and builds and builds and builds and builds. So you have this, this situation where you're like, there are lots of dangerous things on land that are trying to eat me. Wouldn't it be great if I didn't have to contend with those individuals? <laughs> and so that's kind of how this directional shift happens. And then you also have things like, you know, big asteroids and stuff just like decimating the air quality. And if you were in the water and you didn't breathe air, you're like, ha joke's on you. It's not a problem for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's cold. You're going to carry on like that. That ain't right. Um, also, it seems to me that a lot of the, the aquatic mammals have a very significant fat layer on their bodies. So if you were sort of fatter, uh, plus fat is more buoyant than muscle. So if you were a fatter mammal you could survive lower temperatures in the water relative to other mammals. And you wouldn't have to come out as soon. So I, I see how this could lead, mm -hmm. lead to this. So, so yeah, so in the future, if our only salvation is the ocean, the skinny people all die. What? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Your crazy uncle, Jordan, he knows what's up. <laughs> I was going to say, as you were saying that, I was like, oh, the, oh, the, the larger folks survive longer. Uh, yeah. we, we might do okay in Indiana. Uh, <laughs> we got to take a quick break, but when we come back, more with Jasmine Graham. We're talking about sharks, past, present, and future on Star Talk. Back, Star Talk. My co-host Jordan Klepper. Jordan, Neil, sharks. Uh, I'm. I, you know, we started this, and we both agreed that we were walking into this with a certain amount of ignorance. And I'd like to think uh, I've learned nothing up to this point. But that's. <laughs> but that's not because the information isn't good. It's just it's really hard to get through me right now. I'm still thinking about the logistics of the movie The Meg. But I'm going to get through. <laughs> like, it. Okay. So you just confessed the density of your skull. To both of us here. <laughs> oh no! It's, I was I wasn't supposed to tell anybody. Uh, so Jasmine, you um, you have a master's degree in in biological sciences of Florida State University. Florida, there's a lot of marine science in Florida colleges, isn't that right? There is. I mean, we're a peninsula. We got a lot of ocean. Got a lot of ocean. Plus, you're going to be gone in the global warming. Oh, yeah. Miami is gone. Gone, yeah. Just, <laughs> Sorry, just, Miami. <laughs> Florida, like the average sea level in Florida is like an inch. <laughs> the lucky high tides don't take them out yeah, every single time. Colleges in Florida having to do with climate change and also the way we fund upper education. Uh, not something to invest in. Not right the now. best combination there. So how long have you been interested in sharks? Uh, since my freshman year of college. Okay, so what, did you uh, watch Shark Week or something on Discover Channel or something? I did watch Shark Week when I was a kid. And yeah, we watched, watched a lot of Discovery Channel. Um, mm -hmm. But I didn't think about 
sharks? Really? Like you study them? That was not a thought that crossed my mind. I actually didn't even know that you could be a marine biologist as a career until I was like a junior in high school. And then I was like, what? You can get paid to do this. (laughs) (laughs) And then I went to college and I I met a professor who did shark science and, and did the evolution, studied the evolution of sharks. And he was just super excited about sharks. And then I just got excited by osmosis. And I was like, sure. I'll just come work on sharks. And then the more I got into it, the more I was like, well, sharks are really, really cool. <laughs> I yeah. study sharks forever. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. And because they're so different from other uh, marine species, just everything I read, they, they don't have bones, right? They just have cartilage. Is that yep, right? Just cartilage. So, so their teeth are stronger than their scaffolding. Yeah. Which is important if you're a predator. Like that's it's important. You got to be flexible and nimble to chase things, and you got to mm-hmm. have strong teeth to eat them. It's like, it's a perfect design. <laughs> perfect killing machine. All right, Jordan, you got more questions for us. I do. We've got a question here uh, from Facebook. This is from Kevin Hardy. Why are surfboards and wetsuits painted black to make humans look like seal food to sharks? Why don't we use high contrast zebra prints to break up the silhouette? Ooh. Uh, well, so, 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 so wait, wait, just so I understand, if you look up from below, the, the, the shadowing of the surfboard, it looks like a seal? I didn't know, I didn't know that. That's what this implies. Okay, so Jasmine, yeah, so what, the surfer community, they almost take pride when they show you their shark teeth scars, right, that they survived it. What, what, what's your responsibility to them? So if they, you know, if a shark is looking up at them and they're on the surfboard, yeah, it does kind of resemble a, a seal or something that is actually shark food. And so, yeah, like with the with the coloring and the, the pattern and stuff, that's not going to really make a huge difference because the sharks aren't really going to be able to tell that you're zebra print from like if they're looking up at you, they're just looking at the outline, at the shadow. So the best thing to do is to try your best not to look like a seal. So like try not to, to flail around and, and definitely don't surf in areas where there's high shark activity. Like if there is, you know, some bait balls or something, bait balls are like huge clouds of fish swimming really fast in one direction. They're running away from something. You should probably move. <laughs> like, just be observant. <laughs> to take your cues from other species. <laughs> and, and, you know, if you have any sort of dead or decaying animal around, then, yeah, don't go. So, like, there's the movie, a movie called The Shallows that came out a while ago where she's, like, surfing by this big decaying whale thing. And I'm like, first of all, why? Like, <laughs> there is a large decaying animal, just like a smorgasbord for sharks. And you're like, I'm going to go surf right here. And then I'm going to get knocked off my board and I'm going to climb on the dead whale. Why is that a decision that you made? Like, just stay away from things that sharks eat so you don't get confused with food. Because, you know, usually you have shark bites. And for the shark, it's like, hmm, I wonder what this is. I wonder if this is edible. Chomp. Ew, nope, that's not what I thought it was. Swim away. But like that little chomp is like, whoop, there goes your leg. So you don't want to even be in a situation where the shark is confused and needs to check you out. Just like, you know, keep keep your distance away from things like huge bait balls or like where people are fishing or dead decaying animals and just 
if you if you have a lifeguard or someone tell you like, hey, there are sharks mating in this area. I don't think it's a good idea for you to go surfing. Don't say like, this is America and do what I want. <laughs> you can, but that might not end well. This is America. <laughs> so as long as Americans are just logical and think through things, we'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> I don't have a lot of faith. Uh, <laughs> so uh, anyhow, so Jordan, give me some more. Uh, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna stay on this movie inspired idea. Uh-huh. Somebody really wants to know Cameron Jefferson from Facebook. If a tornado started over a school of sharks, what would really happen? It. I don't know what I'm, you're talking about. I'm but, sorry I, to say. No, no, wait. Jasmine and I don't know what they're asking about. Neil, <laughs> you know Neil. <laughs> Neil, admit it. You and I have talked offline about Sharknado for hours. <laughs> no, we have not. It's your favorite movie. Your poster's <laughs> up right now. People can see your office. It's nothing but Sharknado posters. All right, Jasmine, what, what's, what's up with that? So as glorious as it would be for an entire school of sharks to be lifted up in a tornado and just like plopped at another location. Uh, no, sorry. That's not how that works. But it would be so cool. And like, you know. But Jasmine, you're undermining the main premise of that movie series. It can not- st- it's still a great movie series because it's <laughs> utterly ridiculous and Super entertaining, and don't let that stop you from enjoying Sharknado. Like, don't let it stop you. As far it doesn't as claim movie- to be accurate. It's not what it's claiming to do. It's claiming to entertain, and it succeeds. I thought, I thought it was based on a true story. That's my bad. Yeah, the, the great Sharknado of 1917. <laughs> uh, so, well. Jordan, I don't you guys know, I had a cameo in Sharknado 6. I didn't know that. You were in Sharknado 6? Yes, I had a cameo. And I was overlooked by the Academy. I thought, you know, I, I, th- I thought that performance was totally worthy of some kind of award. But no. do, you, do you remember your line from Sharknado Six? Uh, no, <laughs> I played Merlin, and because in Sharknado Six. I bet you didn't know there were five other Sharknado. I, I was going to say, that was there's, there's multiple surprising pieces of information. <laughs> Jasmine, did you know there were six? I knew there was a lot, and I didn't know the number. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in this one, the tornado opens a portal through the space-time continuum and goes back to, to medieval days. And in so doing, shark DNA mer- merges with dragon DNA. So you have shark dragon NATOs. And I'm in the medieval times, dark ages really, and I'm mer- I play Merlin, and I do actual science, but people think it's magic. That's a pretty good call. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. I, said, I could, I could do that. I could do that. And I think I ride one of these shark dragons in the tornado. I was on a green screen, you know, rocking pony. Um, but yeah. But important so, so, question: How many limbs did this dragon tornado have? <laughs> I don't even remember. But Jasmine, I, I'm very proud of you and delighted to hear that you were entertained by this movie series without being distracted by <laughs> the little bit of science that got wrong. <laughs> so, Jordan, give me some more. Let's head to Facebook. We got Manuel Argello. He asks, what innovation used today can we attribute to research done with sharks? Actually, I like this with Neil. We've talked in the past about our love of space, our love of NASA, and all of the fun innovations that come uh, from focused on trying to, to get to places like the moon. 
Right, you uh, did a whole you did a whole uh, special when you visited uh, NASA headquarters. We did, yes. Well, we, not headquarters, one of the centers. Yeah, yeah. We talked all about that. It's like in, even, in even those who are, are frustrated about our our attempts to get back to the moon or to Mars. It's the byproduct of that kind of ingenuity is is bad. Yes. Yeah, so, so, Jasmine, I have, is can you justify what you do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, the, that's the more direct way of saying it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just, I get that all the time, so let me, now I get to <laughs> dish it out to you. All right, Jasmine, what good is it for the rest of us? So there's, there's a lot of materials that come from sharks that people use in things like lotions and medicines and, and makeup and stuff like that. There's um, a compound that's found in their livers, which helps them be buoyant, um, that People use them a lot of different things. Um, also, a lot of... Um, no, wait. I didn't know sharks wore makeup. They they don't, but people <laughs> do. And yes, oh, for all of you chemicals. people out there that are right now looking at your lotions and being like, it doesn't say anything about sharks. Um, it usually calls it like squalene or squala something. That is, that is shark liver. So you shark extract. Whoa! Whenever you're putting that on your face. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. So, so okay. So you make you got this list in progress. All right. So what else? There's also been a lot of engineering feats so that have been based off of the hydrodynamicy of sharks because you know they've spent millions of years evolving. They're super speedy. They cut through the water super fast. So a lot of that engineering principles when they're designing underwater vehicles and things like that comes from you're looking at the structure that evolution has already provided as the winning structure, which is the sharks. I thought I remembered, wasn't there some bathing suits in the Olympics that people wore that, I am that I remembering this correctly, that was yeah. inspired by shark skin yeah. or something? Yeah, so they had denticle or things like denticles, which are these modified scales that sharks have. They kind of look more like teeth, actually. And as someone that's gotten shark burn a lot, um, it really hurts whenever they rub against you. <laughs> they are sharp. They are sharp little things. And yeah, shark burn is a thing if a shark rubs against you. Okay, but wait, wait. So, but why would you make a swimsuit out of that, uh, that resembles that? Because it helps them cut through the water really quickly. It cuts down on drag and friction as they're oh, moving through the water. Oh, okay. You could, what? It, I, I get it now. Because what you can have things that look like they would interfere, but what they do is they break up turbulence and force much more laminar flow where you can go through. Okay, I'm with you on that. Very interesting. Very, very good. Okay. And uh, something else about the teeth. Did we Anything we can learn about the fact that they have multiple teeth, multiple generations of teeth? Yes, they have rows of teeth. So basically their teeth are just always good to go. So, you know, you chip <laughs> teeth. I mean, they're, they're eating things that are really tough and they're tearing at stuff and they're like, oh, I chipped a tooth or my tooth fell out, whatever. There's another one back here and it's just like, whoop. Um, and so they're, they just always have fresh teeth. It's like whenever you have knives and your knives get dull and you have to like resharpen them, how cool would it be if like you used your knife and it got dull and you're like, it's fine. I got another knife right here. It's just like, whoop, whoop. Super useful. <laughs> mm, mm. So, so, okay, so it's because sharks are so different from all other aquatic fishes that it gives us these sort of unique, interesting questions and solutions. Yeah, and I mean, they do lots of really cool things. Like, they heal super quickly, 
which is something that we as humans are like, hey, how do they do that? That might be something that's useful. How are they healing themselves? Maybe we can use that in medicine and things like that. There's a lot of diseases that they don't get that we are interested in researching and trying to figure out what makes them resistant to those types of things. And and can we recreate that and use it in human medicine and stuff like that? So there's a lot of things. Whenever you have something that has been evolving for so long, it's like, why reinvent the wheel? Nature already figured out what works. Like humans aren't going to do any better. We should just like borrow what nature already figured out. We can figure out a way to make it useful to humans. Okay, so what's left unsaid here, Jordan, is to get all of these products and to study the shark in this way, you have to kill the shark. <laughs> Sometimes you do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not like we're studying primate livers and put, making lotion out of it. There'd be objections to that. Mm-hmm. So I think the, since sharks like to eat us, we don't have any problems killing them for whatever purpose that can serve us in return. The, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's unspoken, but that's basically true. We've set, up, we've set up a way in which it's fun to watch the gladiatorial nature of man versus shark, so therefore we get good lipstick out of it. <laughs> so, yeah, unfortunately, there are a lot of sharks that are killed, like 100 million a year, and that's why we're doing a lot of things for conservation of like, all right, guys, we're killing sharks way faster than they can replace themselves because they, they grow slowly, they take a long time to mature, and so we don't want to... to take them out faster than they can replace themselves. So there's all kinds of conservation and stuff that goes into that where we're monitoring the stocks and we're doing things like assessing their their population sizes and we are trying to put regulations in place of like there's not a lot of these types of sharks left. You can't fish for these types of sharks. So we're definitely moving a lot into the regulation. But I think a lot of it is like what you're saying. We have this negative perception of sharks, which is unwarranted because they're just living their lives. And we therefore feel like we can do whatever we want to the sharks versus like a dolphin that's like, everyone thinks is all cute and whatever, but really they're like the same. One's a mammal, one's a fish, but they are both apex predators. They both have sharp teeth. They both are really good at what they're doing, but we've decided that dolphins are cute and sharks are scary, so we can kill sharks. Right, so if you, if you drag a dead shark into the, onto the beach and say, oh, look what I killed on my boat, people say, wow, that's cool. If you dragged a dead dolphin say, look what I killed, people would ostracize you. Yeah. So, so this, a this lot is of, speciesist, or what's, yeah. what's the word? Speci- speciesist? What's you're, the word? You're, you're, you're speciesist. Species, species. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're being you're being speciesist. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that's why you're not racist. You're species, speciesist. <laughs> we're working so hard to change the perceptions that people have of sharks, and and trying to show them like, okay, this there's a lot of benefits to sharks, especially the ones that are apex predators. They're maintaining balance in the ecosystems. They're really important. Sharks aren't out to get you. They're not like hunting you down. They're not really even worried about you. And yeah, it's just people are really afraid of getting bit by a shark, which, yeah, sucks to get bit by a shark. But the chances of that happening are very slim. The chances of getting bit by a dog, however, are very probable. And we bring them into our houses and we put cute outfits on them. So like, Don't, you're, you're, you're going into specious territory right there. You be careful. You be careful. Well, some people like pit bulls. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. If you put pit bull in your house. 
And so, some people like anacondas, you know? Yeah. That's just what they... <laughs> Can't we just all be equally afraid of animals at the same level? Let's be, I'm afraid of sharks. I'm afraid of pit bulls. I'm also afraid of dolphins. I'm afraid of cats. I could be afraid of everything at an equal level. Yeah, you should be concerned about all animals. Like, <laughs> all animals have the possibility to injure you. Just give them their space and don't make them mad. All right, we got one more segment coming after this break on Star Talk. Hey, here's a Patreon shout out to the following Patreon patrons Yakov Goldberg and Sebastian Roser. Guys, thank you so much for helping us make our way across the cosmos. Without you, this show would not be possible. And for those of you listening who would like your very own Patreon shout-out, please go to patreon.com slash Radio and support us. We're back on Star Talk, and where we left off in this shark edition of Cosmic Queries is Jasmine tells us that we shouldn't kill sharks unless we want to make lotion out of them, and then it's okay. That is not what she said. <laughs> that's not what she said. That's what I heard. I, I heard that too. Well, well, I heard that. I swear. I swear. That's what she said. No, no. Just we we need to understand how they fit into the ecosystem and not be so so uh, speciesist about what animals are cute and which animals are not. It's yeah. really what, what this comes There are some to. cute sharks out there. Everybody, Google a picture of an epaulette shark. They're adorable. <laughs> adorable. The word adorable and the word shark appear in the same sentence. <laughs> they, have little, they have little fins and they walk. And they're super cute. Also, bonnet heads are adorable. They look like they have little bonnets on their heads. Take it from Jasmine. She, she has, she has so picked cute. up and held so many sharks. She's picked so up cute. sharks. Okay. <laughs> 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 All right. All right. So let's let's keep this going. Neil, Jordan. I got something from uh, Facebook. Joe Klopp. He wonders, given the fact that sharks are neither born live or hatched from what we would normally refer to as an egg, what does baby shark do, 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 do? <laughs> So I want okay, I didn't know I didn't know any of that. So could you just catch me up on this, please? <laughs> I wanna I wanna clarify something. So so there are sharks that are born live. It's not like a placental birth like a like a mammal. Um, but yes, there are sharks that are born live. There are also sharks that come from eggs, but aren't like chicken eggs. They're like little leathery looking little pouches that are sometimes called mermaid purses, which is an adorable name. Um, but yes, so baby sharks, what do baby sharks do, 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 do? They just try to survive because, uh, sharks don't have parental care. So like you are born and you are on your own, <laughs> whether you're born live or you hatch, uh, they'll try and um, lay their eggs in a place where they're like, this feels like a good spot. I feel like my kids are going to have a chance here. And then they're just like, bye kids. And then the the sharks that are, that give live birth, you know, they like pop them out and the sharks swim away and they're like, cool, my work here is done. <laughs> wow. So, so, so mammals have very few births per litter. And so how many, how many possible sharks can come out of a one egg laying session? That depends on the shark. There are some sharks that give live birth and they only have one 
And um, that's usually because they just, the one that develops first just like eats the rest or it ingests <laughs> the rest of them. And it's like, cool, thanks for the nutrients. Jordan, Jordan did you hear that euphemism? It ingests them. Right? It, ingests it, doesn't, them. Oh. it doesn't maul them in their sleep. No, it ingests. <laughs> I get what you're throwing down. Yeah, okay, ingest them. Okay. Yeah, and then there are some, there are some sharks that, that have very large litters, uh, like 20 or more, but it kind of really just varies between the, the different sharks of how many they're having. And even within species, there's, there's often a, a range. Okay. All right. So, so what, so we, in, in mammals, there's their mammary, um, mammary food for them. What, what's the first thing a baby shark eats? So for the ones that are cannibalistic, they're siblings. For the damn. ones that are Whoa, not, yeah, man, it's, damn. A, it's a shark-eat-shark shark world. You, know what? <laughs> wow. you want us to not be afraid of sharks? You want, <laughs> they eat why. their own eat siblings. Their own. <laughs> Yikes. The parents drop them off and are like, you're good. Eat, eat your brother. <laughs> sure. Well, usually... usually yeah, if, you, if your little brother's annoying, just eat him. <laughs> <laughs> the eating of the siblings usually happens inside the mom. So if a, the mom doesn't even see the other ones. She, that's that worse. Not, that I don't know. Worse. Something, that's worse. That's worse. Okay. You, then, she said... Wait, wait, Jordan. She said that like, no, it's different. It happens inside the mother. <laughs> that's an entire family working together to eat one of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what happens. Um, and then the rest of them, usually it's yolk. They'll have a yolk attached to them, a yolk sack that's their nutrients. And then once that's gone, usually they, you know, they've developed enough where they can hunt on their own. And so, yeah, so usually it's they're either cannibalistic or they had a yolk. Man, that's a tough life. I'm, I'm staying on land, by the way. I'm not going to be one of those that goes back in. Yeah, it feels much safer here. Uh, <laughs> Jordan, give me another one. Yes. We have here from uh, Zenzino Ferrara uh, from Facebook. Since we know our moons have influence on tides and our oceans, uh, there is some kind of influence. Uh, is, there's some kind of influence by the moon in sharks' lives. Oh, interesting. Uh, okay. As in the zones they choose to live in our oceans. And all the best to you guys. I hope you stay safe. Excellent Thanks. question. Thank you for that. Yeah, so Jasmine. Tell me about the astronomical influences on shark behavior. Yeah, so that's something that a lot of sharks actually, we think that their migrations are actually triggered by um, moon phases and things like that. Well, only um, if they're Sagittarius, and then no. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then there's, there's a lot of, obviously the tides and the moon are really, really connected. And so there's a lot of sharks that, that move with the tides with looking for their prey. So they'll Could could it in. be that cuz when the when the tide goes out, deep water becomes shallow and certain fishes become if not entirely stranded, they certainly can't escape to safety. Would a shark risk getting stranded itself to go on shallow shallow tide tide waters? Yeah, so so sharks go into shallow areas and and then there are some sharks that can handle lower salinities. And so they'll actually swim up into the rivers with the, with the tides and they get everything that's like coming in because <laughs> they're, they're like, oh, okay, the tide is changing and their, their food is kind of moving with the tides. And then they kind of get funneled into the mouth of this river because there's only one way for them to go. And then the sharks will be like, ha smorgasbord. And they just sit there at the mouth of the river and they're just like, I'm going to eat everything. That's so the sharks took Astronomy 101. They know about tides and estuaries 
and brackish water versus fresh water. These are intelligent sharks. They are evolving in intelligence the way that earlier question had inquired. We'll find out. You know, it, in another million years, they'll be running the world. <laughs> just, just, the, the, I mean, this is it's, it's coming right from the horse's mouth. There, you know, Neil. <laughs> now I'm afraid of rivers. I thought rivers were safe. Now you tell me sharks are sneaking up there as well. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a very depressing session here. I, with, I with know. <laughs> yeah, there are some sharks that can handle uh, lower salinity waters for for short periods of time. Bull sharks are the the most famous of these. They can go up in the river. And then they'll they'll come back. They have some special adaptations that help them maintain balance even when they're in lower salinity waters, which is super cool. Mm. All right. Time for a few more. Yep, I got one from Twitter. Nathan Warden, how exactly do sharks smell blood in the water? And what is the real range of that smell? Oh, I like that. Uh, Yeah, how fast can blood travel in water anyway? So blood doesn't travel very fast in water. Uh, So you know how, so, so there's this myth but, but like, oh, you have a drop of blood. A shark is going to smell it from a mile away. And I'm like, that's not how that's not how molecules move. They, it has to dissipate. It's going to take a long time to dissipate. Just like if you're on one side of the room and someone farts on the other side, and there's like <laughs> this wave where everyone across the room is slowly smelling it before you get in sequence. It in you. sequence, and you like you're like, oh, there's a bad smell coming, but there's no escaping it because you just see everyone reacting to it. That's just how smells dissipate in the air. The same thing happens in the water. So it's not like there's a drop of blood and all of a sudden, a mile away, the shark is like, oh, there's blood. No, it has to has to dissipate. And in actuality, um, that's way too diluted at that point. A mile away, it's going to be too diluted for them to actually detect it. The most sensitive sharks, it would probably be more like a quarter of a mile before it gets to the point where it would be too diluted for them to be able to detect it. Plus it has to, they got to, plus if they're ocean currents, they wouldn't be able to smell it upstream. They've got to be like downstream from it. Yeah, there's all sorts of things that need mm-hmm. to happen. It's not okay. like, oh, you have a drop of blood and suddenly all of the sharks in the world are just like descending upon you. That's not how it mm-hmm. happens. Also, sharks aren't interested in the smell of human blood because they don't eat humans. Like they would they would smell it, but it wouldn't they wouldn't react to it. Now, if you have a bunch of fish bleeding, yeah, okay, then they're gonna come check it out. But if it's if it's uh, human's blood, that, that's not something that they're cued into because that's not what they eat. So they would, yeah, they would smell it, but they wouldn't be like, oh, that smells delicious. Let me go snack. That's not going to be their reaction. Mm. But if I've had like fish oil pills that morning, I cut my finger on a Bud Light and I go into the water, <laughs> how nervous should I be? Within, you should <laughs> not be nervous. You should not be nervous. <laughs> Drink, drink and swim away. Okay. You would be fine. <laughs> so t- just time for like a, a few more. Maybe we can do a lightning round. So let's, let's, let's try it. Jordan, go. This is from uh, MikeIrish85 on Instagram. Studies have shown that low-frequency sound pollution possibly have negative effects on animal, animal behavior in the ocean. Do sharks show up in these studies, and what are the effects? Ooh, nice one. So like the, the rumble of a cruise ship. Um, uh, rotors, the, the, I mean, the, the propeller blades. Yeah, so, so what do we know about that, Jasmine? Yeah, there have been studies where they, they played sounds underwater and had baited cameras, and there, were less, there was less shark activity around the baited cameras when there were artificial sounds played, so it, it does affect them. 
Baited, you mean it's got food for them, so they mm-hmm. might want to come to the food. So this is a good experiment to see if the sound is so bad for them that they'll forego the food. Yeah. Wow. Okay. But no one cares about the sharks, so we don't care. I care about the sharks, Neil. <laughs> oh, you care I about care the sharks. I care about the sharks. You care. Okay. This, so no one except Jasmine cares about sharks. Okay. All right, Jordan, good, good quick this, answer. Let's see how many uh, more we can um, get in. Um, this is from Amir John Skur on Instagram. Are great white sharks really afraid of dolphins? It's more like a, a co- competition thing. Um, not necessarily fear, just like we're eating the same things. And if you're here, then I have to compete with someone. So I'm going to go hunt somewhere where there's not a comp- not anyone competing with me. Oh, okay. That's, that's the smart thing to do. Yeah. yeah Work yeah. smarter, not harder. That's the motto of the sharks. Mm, okay. <laughs> it's not uh, eat your brother if things uh, don't work out. <laughs> oh, man, I should not have mentioned that. I, I'm not going to shake that for years. No, and really. to be clear, that, that question was a gimme. That question was about uh, Baby Shark. That was about a ch- children's cartoon, and you were like, we should talk about uh, childhood cannibalism. Uh, here's another fun one. This is from uh, Joe Placebo on Instagram. Are the Greenland sharks really over 500 years old, and what makes them different from other sharks? Yeah, how, how long do sharks live? So, yeah, okay. So the, the Greenland sharks' age is, is a topic of discussion among scientists. So people say 400 maybe, but like, eh, we're, just, we're just, yeah, around there. Um, at least we've got it close. So, yeah, they, they live a wait, long wait, time. Wait, 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 wait. We didn't even know Greenland existed. 400 years. No, I don't know when it was discovered, but we can't have possibly had good data 400 years ago to age date a shark from 400 years ago. How how we how do we know this? There's there's other ways to to do dating. Um, you could do carbon dating. You could look at at um, the calcification on vertebrae because they'll have oh rings, dead sharks. Just like yeah, dead sharks. Dead sharks. They're not okay. they're not asking the sharks how old they are. No, right. Okay. No, it's happening. The modern shark. I was going to say, the census is hard enough to get everybody to comply in America, <laughs> let alone Greenland sharks. Good luck getting an accurate count. Then how many people in the household? Well, I ate them. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have any siblings? Oh, that's a difficult question for me to answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Junior used to live then, but not anymore. Yeah, we doing. used to, let's see, at the beginning of the year, there was three siblings. Whatever happened to Junior? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was my brother. Now he's just indigestion. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, is it true that sharks just keep growing their whole lives? They do. They have what's called indeterminate growth, which means as long as they're alive, they will keep growing. Obviously, it slows down when they get older, but yes, they they do keep growing. So, the bigger the shark, the older it is. So these okay. So, but the jury's still out on exactly how old the the Greenland sharks might be. Yeah. But hundreds, clearly. Hundreds, yeah. Damn. You know, we have we have some specimens, but like like I said, we can't ask every we can't ask all the Greenland sharks. So whoever you whoever you sampled, that's like, okay, we found a Greenland shark that this old that's this old, but there could be others that are that are older. That one could be the exception and not the rule. So it could it could be Jordan's uncle. Right. Yeah, it could be be Jordan's uncle. (laughs) He's gonna survive forever. (laughs) <laughs> so we've, we've got to actually bring this to a close. Let me just offer a reflection here. Based on all I've gleaned 
in this conversation, Jasmine. Thank you for these enlightening points. I just wonder if if our, if climate change continues and we keep um, destroying the whale population, because okay, whales are not, you know, I don't know how much they're coming back, that could take away part of the, what's the term you use for who's at the top of the food chain? You had a great term for that. Apex um, predator? Apex predator. So then there, the shark has, there's nothing topper higher than the shark, right? Then we go extinct on land, and then the shark figures out it could come out of the water and go on land. And so if we come back in, you know, a million years, it won't be planet of the apes, it'd be planet of the sharks. And the sharks would be like town mayor and the police. And, the, and, and, and the, so that, somebody needs to write that story. And in the sixth iteration of it, I know who's <laughs> going to play Merlin. <laughs> I'll be there if you need it. <laughs> Jasmine Graham, thank you. This is your first time on Star Talk, I think. It is, is that right? Yeah, well, thank you. And sharks are, are they're perennially interesting to so many people, myself included, and I think maybe Jordan. Um, so we'll try to have to get you back on. And because uh, Jordan, how many questions did we not ask? Because we ran out of time. Honestly, there were there were a ton. I got, I got ten more pages of questions. Ten pages. Know? Okay. <laughs> so we'll hold on to those pages. So so Jasmine again, you co-founder of Minority in shark sciences and so we'll see see more people of color in a field that historically we've never seen anybody of color and you're also project coordinator of the marine laboratory and aquarium uh, very cool so you're in it stay with it stay healthy and Jordan what's your latest project when, when uh, you're not I'm, interviewing Trump supporters, what do you what do you do next? <laughs> well, you know, I'm 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 following the campaign with the Daily Show, and uh-huh. I'm about to become a father real soon. So that's oh. my that's my next big project. A first time father, first time dad. Oh wow! Okay. Yes. So well, I'm going to get to know that baby shark uh, real soon. <laughs> I would recommend not introducing your child to baby shark. You will never hear the end of it. <laughs> I'm going to take that. That's advice from an expert. I'm going to take it. Uh, Jasmine, delighted to meet you. Jordan, always good to have you. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. You're a personal astrophysicist. Signing off, as always, by bidding you to keep looking up. Keep looking up.